thanks, guys. And good morning. Man, well, uh, when the earliest Jesus followers got together to celebrate Easter Sunday and the resurrection, instead of greeting one another with a hello or a good to see you, they would say to one another, he is risen, and then the other person would respond, he is risen indeed. And so I know we already did it together, but let's do it again. He is risen. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful for this day, Easter Sunday, that we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, thank you for your life, your death, and that you rose from the grave. We celebrate you today, and we pray that you would teach us now from your word. Help us to remember these truths about you and what that means for us. God, give us open hearts and open ears to you now in this place. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, well, Easter Sunday 2018 is here. It's so good to be with all of you. Welcome. My name is Matt, and I'm one of the pastors on staff here. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, would love to do so. If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to Mark chapter 10. That's where we're going to be spending some time together this morning. Every Sunday that we're together as a church, we spend a little bit of time or a lot of time, uh, opening up the scriptures and, and reading them and studying them together. And typically on a special day like Easter or Christmas, we would take a, a break from the current series that we're in in order to focus on Easter. But we've been studying through the Gospel of Mark, and the next passage in the Gospel of Mark in chapter 10 fits so well with Easter Sunday. You'll see what I mean. So we're going to stay right there in Mark chapter 10. One of the things that my wife and I have realized as parents, we have an 11-month-old daughter, and uh, one of the things we've learned is that as parents, you have to repeat yourself a lot, a lot. And it doesn't always sink in the first time what you say. I mean, we'll, we'll cut her some slack. She's 11 months old and can't exactly understand what we're saying, but I've heard as they get older and as they can understand what you're saying, you still have to say the same thing multiple times. I've been told it gets worse. But already it's things like, don't put that in your mouth. Don't put that in your mouth. Don't put that in your mouth. Or you need to wear a diaper. You need to wear a diaper. I know you're crying and want to get off the changing table, but you need to wear a diaper, right? We repeat things. And maybe you as a parent or just in life are familiar with repeating certain phrases. We're going to see a similar thing at work with Jesus and his disciple. He's been telling them something several times in hopes that it would sink in to their minds. We see this in Mark chapter 10. Again, we're going to start reading in verse 32 together. It says this, they were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way and the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the 12 aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We're going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man, speaking of himself, will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, though, he will rise. So you see in this scene, Jesus is on the way to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover with his disciples, but there's this building anticipation as they're on their way that something 
big is going to happen. You see the disciples are astonished and the crowds are afraid. There's this building sense of something is about to happen. This trip to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, it's going to be different than the ones before. They don't know exactly how, but something is coming. There's been this building tension in the life and ministry of Jesus with the religious leaders, and it feels like it's all kind of coming to a head as they head to Jerusalem. But you notice Jesus in the passage tells them what's coming, doesn't he? He says, here's what's going to happen. And we just read it. It says, the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will, what, condemn him to death and hand him over to the Gentiles, to the Romans, who will then mock him and spit on him and so on and ultimately kill him. And three days later, he's going to rise. If you've been with us for any number of weeks as we've studied the Gospel of Mark, you might have noticed that he said some things like this before. This is actually the third time he's predicted his death and resurrection. We saw earlier in chapter 8, verse 31, he said this. He then began to teach them, what? That the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed. And after three days, rise again. Then again, chapter 9, verse 31. He said to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him. And after three days, he will rise. And then chapter 10, the verses that we read just a few minutes ago. I'm going to Jerusalem, guys. Here's what's coming. And get handed over to the Romans. They're going to kill me. But three days later, I will rise. He's like a parent repeating himself over and over again in hopes that this message might sink into the minds and hearts of his disciples. I'm going to die but I'm going to rise again. I'm going to die, but I'm going to rise again. Now, people have made all kinds of bold predictions throughout history, and not all of them come true, right? Back in 1962, the Decca Record Company predicted that guitar music and four-piece bands were on the way out. There was a young up-and-coming group that wanted to sign with their label, but they rejected that band because, and I quote, they have no future in show business. This is a bold prediction. But that band was the Beatles. And they were quite wrong, weren't they? That prediction didn't come true. Or we think of a luxury cruise liner that was built in the early 1900s that was unsinkable. The captain of that ship said himself, no danger will possibly sink this ship. No possible disaster could bring this ship down. But that ship was, of course, the Titanic. We know how that went. Right? Bold prediction. Didn't quite work out. And so when we read the words of Jesus, we could think, wow, people have said all kinds of things before that sound rather outlandish. But how do we know? It actually came true. Did it actually come to pass what he said would happen? But then, of course, we read later in the Gospels, Mark chapter 16, which we had read for us a few minutes ago. It says this, When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. 
Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. And so here we see these verses telling us what happened that first Easter morning after Good Friday, Jesus has been crucified, he has died, they took him down from the cross, they laid him in a tomb, and these women bought spices to go and anoint his body for burial. But on their way there, you notice they see something quite spectacular. The large stone covering the seal of the tomb was rolled away. And the story continues in verse 5. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. But he has risen. He is not here. See the place they laid him? And so we see this young man who we have to assume is some kind of angelic messenger delivering the good news of that first Easter that this Jesus who was crucified and died is alive again. He is risen. He's not here. Look, you can see where they laid his body. He's not here anymore. And then it goes on, and I love verse 7 so much. It says, but go, this is the angel speaking, go, tell his disciples, tell Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, speaking of Jesus, what? Just as he told you. Just as he told you. Remember, he said this was going to happen multiple times, three times at least, but we know likely many more. Just as he told you, it came to pass. You see, these disciples had heard plenty about the death and resurrection of Christ that was to come. And in the days that would follow, they still were challenged to understand what the resurrection meant. Even though they'd heard about it, it was hard for them to really grasp, is this true and what does it mean? Because they had no categories for this sort of thing in their minds. And really, sometimes we think about the ancient world and we think, wow, well, the only reason the resurrection really gained traction and got off the ground because those were some ancient, primitive people superstitious, they would believe in all kinds of goofy things, they didn't know about modern science and the like, and certainly they didn't know about modern science, but they certainly knew plenty to know that dead people don't come back to life. See, those in the ancient world, in the Greek world, they had a sense of the afterlife, but it was a disembodied existence where the spirit, the soul would live on, but the body would remain dead. It was freedom from the physical world. And so they had no concept of a physical resurrection, a dead body coming back to life, flesh and blood to live forevermore. They had no category for that. And the Jews had a sense of a future mass resurrection where God would raise all his people at the same time back to life, but they had no concept of an individual rising before that to live forevermore. So for them, this made no sense. And so I'm trying to help us see that for those who first heard this Easter message in the resurrection, no one was like, oh, Jesus is alive again, rose from the dead? Yeah, okay. Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, no big deal. Nobody reacted that way. They all said, what? No, really? Are you sure? I don't think so. That doesn't make any sense. 
In fact, in Luke chapter 24, we see as the women follow the angel's instructions, go and tell the disciples. The disciples respond. It says this, they didn't believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. See, so they go and they're sharing, Jesus is alive, and they're like, what? Again, that doesn't make sense. There's no category for that in their minds. They, they had a trouble wrapping their heads around it. And yet, from the earliest records of Christianity that we have, we see his disciples, his followers, convinced that he was, in fact, alive. That he had risen from the dead. See, the women at the tomb, they go and they tell the disciples and, and Peter... And John come and see the tomb themselves and they report to the rest of the disciples. And then as we read from 1 Corinthians together earlier, we see Jesus appeared to the rest of the disciples, even more people as verse 6 tells us. After that, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. And then this piece is so important, most of whom are still living. In other words, I know this doesn't make sense, but go talk to these people because they'll verify what I'm saying is true. You know, these eyewitnesses, they're still alive. You can go talk to them, go ask them what they saw. And since he's saying, I'm, I'm not making this up. I mean, sometimes, again, we think about the resurrection and it's like, man, this had to have developed over, you know, decades or generations, you know, generations later, maybe they figure out, oh, hey, I guess Jesus is alive. Wouldn't that be a cool story or a cool way to wrap this whole Jesus movement thing up? But no, we see while these eyewitnesses were still alive, they're saying, this is what happened. Go talk to them. We can verify this. This is true. This really happened. And so we see in the very earliest records of Christianity that we have, the resurrection is proclaimed by those who would be very unlikely to believe it themselves. But those disciples say it's true. And it happened. And they interacted with Jesus. But even though they, they heard about it, and then they experienced it themselves by talking with the risen Christ and seeing him, they still had a hard time grappling with what does this mean for my life and for the world. I think it's easy sometimes to be harsh on the disciples. It's like, man, he told you this was going to happen. He told you, he told you, he told you. Why didn't you get it? And yet sometimes we have a similar problem, don't we? We hear the same message over and over, and it doesn't always sink in. I mean, I'd be willing to bet that on the drive here today, you probably knew what I was going to say. Or at least some of it, right? Empty tomb. He is risen, Jesus is alive, resurrection, that's what Easter is about. Even if you only came to church on Easter, you'd be like, I, I kind of, I know what's coming. And there's probably something about a bunny later and some eggs and candy. It all, you know, that's, that's Easter Sunday. And yet, even though we've heard it so many times, still it's kind of hard for us to really grapple with. And what does this mean for my life? What impact does this make? Jesus, is this really true. And maybe you're here today and it, this is like a brand new thing. You know, you're hearing this for the first time, the resurrection of Jesus. And if that's so, so, uh, so glad you're here. So glad to be able to, to share this with you. And whether that's you or whether you've heard this again, dozens of times, we get to consider together, 
what does the Easter story mean? What is the resurrection all about? A couple things we need to realize. First, the resurrection tells us something about Jesus. Big surprise, right? <laughs> wow, pastor, enlighten us. No, um, it tells us something about Jesus. Because in the Gospels, we see Jesus doing these crazy things, <laughs> these miraculous things, saying these incredible things. And if the resurrection is true, then we have to conclude that he is who he said he is. We have to conclude that the things that he said and the things that he did are actually true. And the New Testament says as much. Acts chapter 2, Peter the famous disciples, is giving this message to his fellow Jews after the resurrection, trying to convince them that this Jesus is the Messiah. He's the true king. And he says to them in verse 32, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. And then in verse 36, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and and Messiah. Saying, guys, you have to see this. Jesus is alive. God raised him from the dead. Therefore, he is Lord. He is Messiah. He's everything that he said he was. He's the king. He's the focus of all of human history. He's the center of the universe. It's all about him. He's worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our devotion. He's worthy of our lives. And the resurrection proves it, he says. Because see, in the ancient world, there were a couple handfuls of would-be messiahs, of people that went around claiming that they were the messiah. And they created a bit of a stir and had followings. They had people that maybe believed that that was true. These little movements, some of them were before the life of Christ. Some of them were after. People would go around saying, I'm the messiah, and people would believe him. But the same thing would happen every time. They would die. And then the disciples would say, I guess we were wrong. <laughs> this wasn't the guy. Let's find the next one. And they'd either go home to their couch and eat Cheetos and watch Netflix for the rest of their lives, or they would find maybe another person. They're like, maybe this is the guy. But all those movements crashed and burned. It was done. They died. They're executed. Let's go home. But the story of the gospel of Jesus Christ is different because the followers of Jesus did not just go home and stay home. They became convinced that Jesus did not stay dead, but Jesus was alive, that he was alive again. And they interacted with him and said, he must be then all that he claimed to be. Again, see, throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus making these pretty bold claims. Claimed to have the authority to forgive sins. Claimed to be the source of of eternal life for all the world. He claimed to be the only way to know God. Claimed to be the bread of life. Claimed to be the ultimate judge of all people. Again, the only way to find eternal life. The only way, he said, to find life is to give your life away and follow him. Now, if he died on the cross and stayed dead. If he didn't rise again, we could just read those passages in the New Testament, just toss them out, skip over them, doesn't matter. He died, 
game over. We should all go home. We're wasting our time. Really, you don't have to worry about his words if he did not rise from the dead. Because he was another failed Messiah who said a bunch of things, but it didn't ultimately bring the kingdom of God. But if he did rise, then that changes everything. Then he's alive, ruling and reigning. He's the king. And everything that he said in his life was true. In Acts chapter 2, again, Peter is saying his resurrection proves this, that he is Lord and Messiah, validated, proven, verified as real and authentic. He's not a dead Savior. He's alive. And this is why at FBC we make a big deal about Jesus. We talk about Jesus a lot. You see in your bulletin, you have those four images, worship, connect, grow, go. Or maybe on the wall as you were walking in, you saw the images, worship, connect, grow, go. There's a reason worship is the first one. Because for us, that's where it all starts, worshiping Jesus, giving our very lives to him, committing to him fully, focusing on him. So it's our, our hope that as a church, we would constantly be looking to the cross, looking to Jesus, the life that he alone can give, that's central to who we are. Because if the resurrection is true, then we have to make that conclusion that he is Lord and he is who he said he is. But the message of Easter Sunday is not just about what Jesus did. It certainly starts there. But the message of the resurrection says something for us. It means something for us, for our lives today. Romans 6 says as much in verse 4. It says this, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that, and here it is, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Okay, see what he's doing there? He's saying we, those of us who have put our faith in Jesus and trusted in him, we've been united to him, connected with him in such a way that we're united with him in his death and his resurrection. He's saying baptism is a symbol of that. Baptism demonstrates that truth. If you've seen a baptism, what, is, what happens? Someone goes under the water, representing death. They come up out of the water, representing this new life that they now have in Christ. And so the message of Easter is not just that Jesus is alive forevermore, but that if we trust in him, we too can be made alive. We also can have this newness of life in him. And we see this hope all throughout the scriptures. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5. Though you were dead, God made you alive with Christ. If you trust in him, you were dead, but in Christ we're made alive. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you're in Christ, what does it say? You're a new creation. You're made new. There's this new work of God within you. You're no longer spiritually dead. And this is all possible because of Christ. We can be made alive because Jesus was made alive and rose from the grave. Again, this is central to our faith. And it's truly good news because I think, again, if we're honest and we think about our own lives, we want this to be true. We desire renewal and 
transformation and things to change within us. We know that things aren't quite right. We want things to be fixed. I mean, this is why things like New Year's resolutions are so popular and things like the Whole30 diets are so popular and things like, oh, I don't think essential oils fits into this category exactly, but shows like the Fixer Upper, right? Fixer Upper. You've seen it. If you haven't seen it, don't worry about it. But you, if you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. We like renewal, transformation. We're drawn to the idea of a new beginning, of a fresh start, of transformation. And, and those things I've listed, those aren't bad things. It just shows that our hearts are drawn towards that newness, that longing for renewal, transformation, new life. But the question for us then is if we desire that, how do we find it? Where do we find that power to live a new life, to live differently, to, to move on from the, the failures or, or the wounds in our past and truly change? I mean, where do we look for such hope? To find the strength to overcome addictions and the strength to stop destructive habits and patterns in our life or, or the power to truly love other people sacrificially family members, our kids, our spouses. I don't know about you, but I know I've had moments where I'm like, I want to be able to love differently. I want to be able to live differently. Where is that power going to come from? If you were here on Good Friday, you remember I mentioned a survey that was done recently. They polled a bunch of people, Americans, and they found that Two out of three Americans would admit that they are sinners. Almost 70%, 67% said when asked that they were sinners. And I found that number actually to be really high. Again, this isn't, this isn't churchgoers. This is just average Americans. Almost 70% said when asked, yeah, I'm a sinner. You know, when I look at my life, something's out of order. Something's not right. I find myself doing things I don't want to do. And the things that I want to do, I don't do. Something's not quite right. My heart is not the way that it should be. But again, there was a difference in opinion on what that meant or like what you should do about that, what the solution was. And some people said, I need help from the outside. Jesus or God, I need, I need God to do something to help me. Can't do it on my own. But then an even bigger number of people said, that I need to work on being less of a sinner. Like, that's the answer. I need to figure it out. Be less of a sinner. And I think we'd all agree that taking responsibility for change in our lives is important. Right? Ownership of our lives, working to live differently, to make different choices. Uh, we do have a responsibility in that. But if we're only relying on ourselves to change, Scripture reminds us that we have no hope because we got ourselves into the mess in the first place. If the problem is the human heart and our propensity, our inclination towards sin and brokenness in our lives and in the world, if we find the problem in our hearts, we're not going to find the solution in the same place. We need help from outside of ourselves in order to change in order to truly be transformed, in order to truly live differently. 
And this is the hope of the resurrection. Jesus rose from the grave, and just as Christ was raised to life, we too may walk in newness of life, Romans 6 says, if we've trusted in him. That's the key. It's Christ's life, his power in us, taking us from death to life. Then we can truly change, not that everything's perfect or easy or automatically up and to the right, but there's true power, new life within us through Christ. Famous missionary Elizabeth Elliot put it this way. I've, I've shared this quote before. She says, the secret, the secret to living differently is Christ in me, not me in a different set of circumstances. That's the hope of the Christian, right? Christ in me. Things around me don't just need to change. I don't need to just get out of this bad situation or adjust my circumstances a little bit and then everything's going to be worked out. No, because something within needs to change. So she says, the secret is Christ in me, his life within me, his power, his presence changing me to live this new life. That's our hope. That's the hope we have in the resurrection. We can be made alive with Jesus, which changes how we live now, as we've been talking about, but this extends into eternity. This is not just a hope for the present. It's not just a hope for our short years lived here. The hope is that through faith in Christ, we're united with him in his death and resurrection, and we would live eternally with him. Jesus said as much in John chapter 11. Verse 25, I'll read it for us. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Amen. This is the hope of the resurrection, that though we all will die one day, if our faith is in Christ, we're again united to him, made alive in him, and will live forevermore with him in his good, renewed, redeemed world, enjoying him, his creation, and his people, one another, forever. This is our hope. For we can truly sing, no guilt in life, no fear in death, because Christ is in me. Now, uh, there's this famous story, uh, a Buddhist teaching, that yeah, it goes something like this. There was a young daughter, young, or excuse me, a young woman who had a son, a young son that became ill and died, tragically. She was grieving, naturally, grieving the loss of her child. And she went around to the homes in her town looking for help, saying, would you please help me bring my son back to life with tears streaming down her face, but no one in her village could help her. No one could reverse death. And so they say, why don't you go talk to Buddha himself? And so she goes up and talks to Buddha. And she explains with tears the situation. My son has died. Would you bring him back to life? And he says, okay, I'll, I'll help you. Here's what you need to do. I want you to go to the homes in your village again, and I want you to find homes that have not been marked by death, I want you to gather five mustard seeds from each home. I want you to come back to me, and then we'll do something. She says, okay. She's filled with hope. Maybe there is something that he can do for her. And so she goes, but she finds, as she travels around to each home, that there's no home that has not been marked by death. So she can't gather any mustard seeds. She can't go back to Buddha. And she realizes, well, I guess that's what he wanted me to learn that 
death faces us all. We've all been touched by it. And she was able with that realization to grieve and to bury her son and move on with her life. I mentioned that story because I want you to see how completely opposite it is from the hope that we have in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What did the Buddha tell her? Essentially, death touches us all. It's a shame. There's nothing we can do about it. Just keep on living, I guess, as best you can. That's all I can do for you. But what does Jesus say? Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though they die, they shall live. That is our hope as Christians, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he is alive. And so we don't have just empty hope to offer the world and say, I'm sorry about death. I wish there was something we can do because Jesus says, I have done something about it. I conquered it. I rose from the grave. And if you trust in me, you will be made alive as well. That's our hope. And I don't bring that up to, to pick on Buddhism. I think that's, that's a mindset of so many of us today, right? If, if the natural world is all that there is, then that's the best we can do. You're going to die. Family members are going to die. I guess we better get used to it. But through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have a hope. A hope that we can find nowhere else. Because he is alive. And through faith in him, we can be made alive as well. And so it's my hope that uh, for you this morning, whether you've heard this just for the first or second time, or whether you've heard an Easter sermon about the resurrection dozens and dozens of times, pray that this truth would sink in to your heart, would shape your life, that you trust in Christ, seeing that he really is who he said he is, Lord, Savior, King of all the world, calling us to repentance and faith in him, and that you would look to him and find life and everything that you need, both now and forever. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word that reminds us of the, the truth of the gospel, that though we are dead, we can be made alive because of you, Jesus. Thank you for the cross and thank you for your resurrection. Pray, Lord, that you'd help us to trust in you, to walk with you, to leave here with hope and joy, knowing that our life is secure in you. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done. It's in your name we pray. Amen.